I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Today, first Sunday in Advent, our theme is love. Love of God, love from God, and love that we share with others. Our scripture, probably the best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, and then selected verses from the fourth chapter of John. And if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand for the sharing of God's holy and inerrant word. And frankly, because you have all memorized, I think, John 3.16, and the verses from 1 John are brief, why don't you say them out loud with me? 1 John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then from 1 John 4, verses 19 and 20, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. The late Ruth Bell Graham, wife of Billy Graham, was just as fervent an evangelist as was her husband, just not as well known. She told a story about their pet cat who had a litter of six kittens. They were born in a pasteboard box in the kitchen. Several days later, for some reason, the mother cat decided to move the family to the other end of the house, the carport. So one by one, with her teeth, she would gently grab each one by the back of the neck and gently carry it to the new home on the carport. She moved five of them and then hesitated with those five, either because she was exhausted from all the work or she was busy serving as a lunch counter for those five. And the kitten back in the cardboard box was the runt of the litter. After a little while, he let out a, a weak, feeble squeak. Not even a meow. Now, just a tiny, frail squeak. Almost a non-sound. Instantly, that mother cat heard and raced to that cardboard box, picked up that little runt by the back of the neck and hauled him off to the carport. She heard that squeak, that tiny sound, through three doors, two rooms, and two hallways. And then Ruth Graham said this, If a mother cat can hear so well, how much more does our Heavenly Father hear our sighs, our tears, our murmurings, 
our longings. God can hear a tear roll down a cheek anywhere on the planet. And instantly, the living Christ is before the Father, pleading our case and sending guardian angels in our direction. How good God is. Love is our theme today on this first Sunday of Advent. The word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. And for the next four weeks, we are going to be celebrating the continual coming of the Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit by word and spirit. You know, MasterCard did America a real favor some years ago by reminding us of a great truth. You remember their advertising slogan, there are some things money can't buy, but for everything else, there's MasterCard. Now, they're telling us the truth. Only the lesser things can be bought with hard cash or plastic cards. The really priceless things are always gifts, like the love of a spouse or the beauty of a sunset or the wisdom of a grandfather. And the supreme gift is Jesus Christ, offered to us freely, straight from the heart of God. And the reason we give presents to each other at Christmas is simply to honor and remind us of the supreme gift. Jesus' entry into the Bethlehem manger was not an afterthought. It was not some emergency, last-minute plan. No. That divine rescue plan was envisioned by God before the creation of the world. God so loved the world that he gave. And it's the essence of love to give a needed gift. And you know, the reason that we Christians have such a hassle at Christmas season is that often we're trying to buy gifts for people who don't need anything the stores are selling, really need. May want, but not really need. God did not face that problem. He knew what we needed. He knew we had a supreme need. He knew that humanity was separated from God Almighty by sin. He knew that we were and are ego-driven, often greedy, lustful, sometimes hateful, often rebellious. And there was no medicine that would cure that problem. There was no amount of education that would fix our condition. Oh, but God knew the cure. And he loved us so much, he gave us the cure. The master of all things, God Almighty, shrank down, way down, I mean tiny down, and became an ovum, a fertilized egg that divided and redivided until it became a baby in the womb of Virgin Mary. And that baby drew its first breath and screamed in the brisk night air of an outdoor stable amid the pungent smells of goats and cows. It is amazing to me, just, just incredible to me, that God Almighty larger than we can imagine. The God who is able to control nations, move armies and nations at His will, 
that God Almighty entered our world as a helpless baby who could not speak, who could not eat solid food, who could not control his bladder, and who depended on a teenage couple for food, shelter, and love. That's amazing to me. He brought nothing into the world except a world-transforming vision and mission from God Almighty. What a contrast it is today when a person of royalty or a president visits a foreign country. Oh, it's a huge undertaking, often costing more than $30 million. And the last time the late Queen Elizabeth came to the United States, the reporters just had a field day telling us about the logistics of the visit. She brought 4,000 pounds of luggage that included two outfits for every occasion, 40 pints of blood plasma, a hairdresser, two valets, and a host of other attendants. How different, how different was the visit of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to planet Earth? He brought absolutely nothing into that Bethlehem stable except a world-transforming mission from God the Father. You know, God loves us enormously, and His desire is to forgive us, to save us, and to adopt us as His children within the household of faith. He is a merciful God, but He is also a just God. And God's justice and His mercy cannot be compromised. When Jesus suffered and died on that cross, He fulfilled both the justice and the mercy of God Almighty. The scripture says it this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, it's so wonderful that God's love is for everybody. His, his reign falls on the just and the unjust alike. He loves everybody, the whole world. He even loves the Ayatollah in Iran. He loves Putin in Russia. He is not partial to Methodist or Baptist. He even loves convicted criminals on death row as much as he loves Governor McMaster. But there is a condition for receiving the supreme gift. First of all, you've got to be humble enough to acknowledge a need for it. And then you've got to have at least a little bit of faith. Not a huge amount is necessary. Just enough to reach out and receive it. Just that much. But you probably might be thinking, well, Brother Bill, nobody, nobody would dare to resist receiving such a gift. Nobody would, with good sense, would receive such a gift. You don't have to work for it. It doesn't cost you anything. It's free. Surely everybody will receive the gift. No, no. The shocking truth is that a majority of Americans do not receive the gift. Why in the world do they not receive the gift? Well, there's a part of the mystery of evil is that it keeps people from seeing their need for the gift. And then within us, there's a mysterious uh, rebellious spirit that says, uh, I don't need to repent because I'm better than most people. And then there's an egocentricity within us that makes us believe we can fix any problem we have without outside help. We're independent. We can do it by ourselves. 
And therefore, the majority ignores the gift and will perish. They will spend eternity in a place, a horrible place, where God is utterly absent. And that's the definition of hell. Occasionally, my phone, cell phone, rings in a peculiar way, a particular way, and I know immediately what it is. It's an amber alert. It means that, you know what it means. It means a child is lost out there. And all of us who are parents immediately feel a flash of terror because we identify with that mom or dad in their agony. Just imagine the pain in the heart of the Heavenly Father over the millions of lost people. He doesn't want a single one to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. Just imagine how loudly the amber alert is ringing in heaven 24-7. Our gracious God actually helps us receive the supreme gift. If he didn't help, we wouldn't do it. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There's that drawing of the Holy Spirit exerted on all people. And those who accept the gift receive abundant and eternal life right away. And you know what? After we receive the gift, God does not put us on the shelf and say, now you just sit there till you die and go to heaven. No, no. After we receive the gift... God puts joy in our soul, a song on our lips, and a cross on our shoulder. He puts us to work. And as the great missionary E. Stanley Jones said, if you take the gift, you belong to the giver forever. How can we tell that we've received the gift? There's a, not only is there peace in our hearts, which the Holy Spirit gives, but there's a compulsion to share it. God won't let us hoard it we got to share it. Let's look again at the scripture verse that you read with me earlier. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And Jesus took that even further in Matthew 25. He said, the way you deal with what you do for any person in need, you actually are doing it for Christ. And everything you fail to do for a person in need, you fail to do for Christ. And because of Christ, there's nobody who is expendable. Nobody can be written off. Even that little unnamed, unborn baby whose life is tragically terminated. Ah! I guarantee you that baby has a name in heaven. In God's calculus, everybody is a somebody. The word for love in Greek is agape, agape. And it means to seek what is truly best for another person. Some of our current expressions of love just fall so far short of that standard. In fact, some of those expressions are designed more to benefit the giver than the recipient. Uh, Lauren Green, who is the chief religion correspondent for Fox News, said this. This is my problem with the secular world saying you should just be a loving person and that's it. That's good enough. Well, that's fine to be a loving person, she wrote. But why are you a loving person? 
Is it in order to get something in return? Is it designed to make you feel good about yourself? Well, that's not real love. That's just a form of selfishness. Real love, genuine agape, always glorifies God and seeks what is truly best for another person. One of the problems we have in America today is people confuse unconditional love with unconditional approval. They are not the same. Not at all. Hopefully you can love someone without approving of everything he or she does. Uh, the grace of God enables us to love a sinner without loving his or her sin. And since we're all sinners, we hope that other people can do that for us. Some of these decisions about agape love are relatively easy. If your teenage son wants to take his college fund and use it to buy a new car, you as a parent got to say no, though he will complain. But you will be expressing agape love. What is truly best? If your teenage daughter wants to spend a week at the beach unchaperoned with a dozen of her male and female friends, you got to say no, and she will complain. But you will be expressing agape love. Now, those are fairly simple ethical decisions. I've mentioned some are more difficult. If a member of the family is addicted to anything, some of the decisions that family makes with regard to him or her can be very difficult. And when you have the responsibility of caring for an aging parent, particularly if that parent is losing some of his or her faculties, some of those ethical decisions, some of those agape decisions can be so difficult. And I don't think we can make them the difficult ones without God's help. And God's help is available. All we have to do is ask for it. In four weeks... Christmas Day, we will celebrate the ultimate gift from God. And though the, the gift costs God more than we can imagine, it is free to us. It costs the world nothing. If you think about it, at the Bethlehem manger, there was no attending doctor who had to be paid. As far as we know, there was not even a midwife. There was no hospital or hotel bill. It was freely given. And the gift is still free for us. Costly for Christ, but free for us. We receive it by faith, and our only obligation is to pass it on to others. You know, Jesus often taught by using parables, which were just simple down-to-earth stories that had eternal spiritual meaning. And today on this first Sunday of Advent, I want to use one of my favorite stories as a modern parable. And it's a true story about a seven-year-old boy named Tony who was born into a family in a Midwestern state about 35 years ago. He was blind at birth. And he suffered from a visual condition that was rare and for which there was no cure. But the family doctor kept reading the medical journals, going to conferences, always looking for an answer to Tony's problem. And one day he read a, an article in the New England Journal of Medicine about a, a surgical procedure that had been developed in Boston for a condition like Tony's. And so the family doctor began corresponding with that surgeon. Tony's medical records were sent, and it was decided that Tony would be an ideal candidate for this surgery. 
So the decision was made to take him to Boston. And the local church and some civic clubs gave money to support the family going to Boston. Tony had a favorite toy. No, it was more than a toy. It was a friend, his best friend, his teddy bear. And they were inseparable, always had been. And over the seven years, the teddy bear had begun to show some effects of the uh, usage. Uh, one, one eye was missing, one ear was half chewed off, and there were a couple of holes through which the stuffing was oozing. So Tony's mother uh, said, we're going to get a new teddy bear to take to Boston. No, ma'am, said Tony. I don't want a new teddy bear. I like the one I've got. He's my friend, and I'm going to keep him. So the teddy bear went to Boston at Massachusetts General Hospital and uh, stayed with Tony through all of the x-rays, consultations, and procedures. As soon as Tony met the young surgeon, the two of them just hit it off. They just liked each other. And they were together every day getting ready for this surgery. And so the relationship just got deeper and deeper. Then came the day of the surgery. And afterward, Tony had to remain still for several days, which is very hard for a seven-year-old. And then came the day for taking the bandages off. And the family was, of course, excited, and the surgeon was too. The bandages came off, and for the first time, a seven-year-old boy could see. His vision was blurred at first, but after a couple of days, it clarified. And for the first time, he could look into the face of his parents, and he could see a sunset, and he could see his teddy bear. And that surgeon was so happy, he was almost jumping for joy. And then came the day for discharging Tony, sending him home. And the surgeon had sort of dreaded that day because the two had become so tight. But on that day, the surgeon signed the discharge papers and sat down beside Tony on the bed, put his arm around him and said, Son, you and I, you know, are friends for life. Uh, and I expect to hear letters from you. Uh, we're going to keep each up with each other. Uh, we are friends for life. And I own stock in you. And then Tony did something that was totally unexpected. He turned to the surgeon and said, I want you to have this, and handed him his teddy bear. And the first instinct of the surgeon was to say, oh, no, oh, no, I cannot separate two such good friends. But something stopped him. Uh, with a sensitive genius, the surgeon understood what the boy was doing. Tony, with a heart full of love, wanted to give to the surgeon the most precious item at his disposal. And so the surgeon took it and said, Tony, I will promise to take really good care of your teddy bear, and every time I look at him, I will think about you. For 10 years, the teddy bear sat in a glass case on the 10th floor, Massachusetts General Hospital, one eye missing, one ear half chewed off, a couple of holes out of which stuffing was oozing. And in front of the teddy bear was the 
surgeon's professional name card. And then he had written this caption. This is the highest fee I have ever received for professional services rendered. A little boy with a heart full of love gave him the most precious item at his disposal. This is a parable of Christmas. 2,000 years ago, God looked out upon our world and it was a mess, tear-stained, sin-marred world. If you and I had been in charge, we might have decided to destroy the whole thing and start over. But God loved us too much for that. Instead, God decided to give us the most priceless, precious item at his disposal. He gave himself in the form of a baby Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When confronted by a gift that awesome, the only proper response is to fall on your knees and enthrone the living Christ as your personal King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we live in a culture that often distracts us from the real meaning of Christmas. Often we are overwhelmed by the commercialism. Even the gift giving is more selfish sometimes than Christ honoring. Help us to focus on that supreme gift delivered to a Bethlehem manger from you, our loving Heavenly Father. Keep our Christmas celebration centered on Christ and Christ alone as the reason for the season. In his name we pray. Amen.